When we challenge God's sovereignty, we commit the greatest sin. Do you know what the greatest sin is? It's idolatry. It's bowing down to the worship of me. God is sovereign. Yield to him. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Glad you could join us today for the third message in the series, Think, Christianity in High Definition. Listen with me as Pastor Trent challenges us to think about the doctrine of God. Many of us are operating in standard definition when it comes to our thinking about God and our thinking about ourselves and our thinking about this world and our thinking about the Bible. And so what we're trying to do is get a higher definition so that we can see God more clearly. And remember, our goal is not just to think, but our thinking should lead to knowing God. And in knowing God, we will be able to love him more. We will be able to serve him and obey him and enjoy him. So we're learning that if I have a problem in my acting, if I'm not acting right, what's my problem? I'm not thinking right. And if I'm not feeling right, what's my problem? I'm not thinking right. So I want to do right. I want to feel right. I must think right. So we're thinking about God. Last week, we learned that uh, we have a God who has revealed himself. He wants us to think about him, and he's revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself in our conscience because we have a moral compass, but he's more clearly and more specifically revealed himself in a book that he wrote called the Bible. And we learned last week that the doctrine of the authority of Scripture states that I give the Bible the right to define what I believe and to determine how I am to behave. So this morning, we are going to talk about the doctrine of God. And um, in order to get an accurate view of God, we've got to allow the Bible to define who God is, because God's revealed himself in a book. And so we need to know what God has said about himself. And so there are several places in the Bible. Remember, a lot of times we open the Bible, we're on one page, we're going right down through it. In this series, what we're doing is we're asking a question, and then we're chasing the answer all through the Bible. So we're just going to let a lot of scripture wash over us here uh, today. But I do want to get your eyes on your copy of God's word in Isaiah chapter 45, because God tells us something about him. The Bible helps us understand God has contour. You don't just get to make up your own God. There's only one God, and God tells us what he's like here in Isaiah chapter 45. Let's look at what it says in verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not, you don't know me. I want you to get to know me. So he's going to equip us to know him. He's going to reveal himself to us. Look at what he says in verse six. That people, that male people and female people and old people and young people and teenagers and people in ministry and people who are not in ministry and children, that people may know the Lord from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. What's God trying to tell us? I have definition. And anybody who makes a claim that God is something that I am not is not God. Greg Gilbert in his little book, What is the Gospel? Takes us on a little mythical journey to meet God. And he says, let me introduce you to God. 
Notice the lowercase g. And in that book, he says this, you might want to lower your voice a little before we go in. He might be sleeping now. He's old, you know, doesn't much understand this newfangled modern world. His olden days, the ones he talks about when you really get him going were a long time ago before most of us were even born. That was back when people cared what he thought about things and considered him pretty important in their lives. Of course, all that's changed now, though, uh, and, and God, the poor fellow, just hasn't adjusted very well. Life's moving on and passed him by. Now he spends most of his time just hanging out in the garden in the back. I go there sometimes to see him, and there we tarry, walking and talking softly and tenderly among the roses. Anyway, a lot of people still like him, it seems, or at least he manages to keep his poll numbers pretty high. And you'd be surprised how many people even drop by to visit and ask for things every once in a while. But of course, that's all right with him. He's there to help. Thank goodness all the crankiness you read about him sometimes in his old books, you know, like having the earth swallow up people and raining down fire on cities, that sort of thing. All that seems to have faded in his old age. Now he's just a good-natured, low-maintenance friend who's really easy to talk to, especially since he almost never talks back. And when he does, it's usually to tell me through some slightly weird sign that what I wanted to do anyway is just all right with him. That really is the best kind of friend, isn't it? You know the best thing about him, though? He doesn't judge me, ever, for anything. Oh, sure, I know that deep down he wishes I'd be better, more loving, less selfish, and all that, but he's realistic. He knows I'm human and nobody's perfect, and I'm totally sure he's fine with that. Besides, forgiving people is his job. It's what he does. After all, he is love, right? And I like to think of love as never judging, only forgiving. That's the God I know, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Is that your God? That is not the God who has revealed himself in the Bible. Years ago, there was a pastor in Chicago named A.W. Tozer, and he asked a very profound question which lingers for us today. He asked this question, what comes, it's not a question, it's a statement, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on and says, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is either pure or base, in other words, acceptable or unacceptable. Worship is acceptable or unacceptable as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to this question? What comes into mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. What comes into mind 
when you think about God? Is it the God who has revealed himself? Or is it a God with a little g, a myth of your own imagination? Today, we're gonna study the attributes of God as he's revealed them in scripture. Now, I ask you to open up your Bible to Daniel chapter 11, and I wanna show you this verse. Why is it so important that we get an accurate view of God? Because of what Daniel says, tucked away, there's a little principle in Daniel chapter 11 that I want you to get your eyes on. And it simply says this, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. We are not just thinking about God so that we can become a Bible fathead. Affirming some truths about God without developing a personal relationship with him will lead to the height of hypocrisy. Rational propositions are no substitute for personal relationship. And we are going on a journey thinking about God so that we can stand firm when we're out there and take action when we're out there. I love the translation, I think it's the authorized version, the King James says, the people that know their God will stand firm and do exploits. They will do incredible things for God, they'll do hard things for God, and what's the motivation? Because I know him. And the reason why some of us are falling and folding and hiding and not identifying ourselves as Christians is simply because you don't know him the way you should know him. And the reason why some of us are sitting on the sidelines and letting do, everybody else do all the work and we're benefiting from this church, but we're not participating in this church is because you don't know how great your God is. The people that stand firm in the face of temptation and persecution and the people that identify with God and stand up and stand out and stand firm in your high school and in the face of, of opposition are the people that know their God. And so we're going to think this morning so that we can know him and we're going to know him so that we can obey him and we're going to obey him so we can enjoy him. He is a great God and he wants you to know him. And the way that he's made himself known is through something that we're going to call the attributes of God. Theologians, as they search the scripture, have identified some things about God. He's revealed himself. How has he revealed himself? The attributes of God are God's essential characteristics revealed in scripture by his name, by the images that he portrays, and by his actions. Now, we're gonna think about the attributes of God. Now, I'm only gonna give you five. You can get that little book out there by Wayne Grudem. It's got about 20 of them in there, and you can get the bigger systematic theology. It's got more in there. We're gonna move fast. Uh, but we're gonna look at five attributes of God this morning. And it's not for the purpose of just thinking, it's for the purpose of taking action. So each one of the attributes has an action that we need to take. Here is the first attribute we're gonna consider. God is sovereign. And what are we gonna do to take action? We're gonna yield to him. So what is the sovereignty of God? The sovereignty of God is God's free and absolute control, which ensures that all things he decrees or allows will be accomplished. Now, when theologians talk about the attributes of God, there are two categories. Theologians talk about the 
incommunicable attributes of God or the non-transferable attributes of God and the communicable attributes of God or the transferable attributes of God. You see, because I am made in God's image that I can be like God. God wants me to be like him. Those are what's called the communicable attributes of God. Because God is love, then there should be some love in me. That's a communicable attribute. Today, we're gonna look at one incommunicable attribute of God, and it's this one, the sovereignty of God. And yet, here's the thing. You know what man's basic problem is? He wants this attribute of God. He wants to make this incommunicable attribute a communicable attribute. Man's basic problem is he wants to be sovereign. And he challenges the sovereignty of God. He wants to think he is in control. And a lot of us live with the illusion that we are in control. And then when things don't go your way, it discombobulates you. You know why? Because you're not thinking right about the sovereign control of God. The sovereignty of God is God's free and absolute control. Now, some of you are already ahead of me and you're already thinking, wait, 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 wait. What about the free will of man? Some of you are already down the road. We're gonna talk about the free will of man when we get to the doctrine of man. Today, we're talking about the free will of God. How often do you wrap your brain around the fact that God is free to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it? God is absolutely free from my personal opinion about the way he ought to run his universe. There was a man in scripture, his name is Nebuchadnezzar. He was a king. He was a pagan king. He didn't know God. And yet God put in his life a man who did know God, Daniel, the prophet Daniel. And there in the book of Daniel, we find a little scene taking place where uh, Nebuchadnezzar's thinking he's, he's hot stuff. He is marching around on the roof of his magnificent palace. He is glorying in all of his control. He's king. And he is living under the illusion that he is sovereign. And he's taking great glory in himself very arrogant, very proud, thinking he was very independent. Do you know that God gets personally involved with people who try to challenge his sovereignty? And so God does something to convince King Nebuchadnezzar he's not sovereign. He, t he strips away his power, strips away his kingdom, and, and we don't know all the details, but somehow he ends up living with livestock, his fingernails grow all out and long and he's eating grass like a cow. That would tend to humble you, don't you think? And at the end of all of that, once King Nebuchadnezzar had learned his lesson, he comes back to his senses and we find in the book of Daniel this statement that King Nebuchadnezzar makes. He says, at the end of days, and those were bad days, eating with cows and the long fingernail, the manicures, and it was not good. I, King Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Now, if he had done that before, he wouldn't have had to go through the ordeal. He lifted his eyes. Who'd he been looking at? He'd been looking at himself, gazing and glorying in all that he was. And so he lifts his eyes to heaven and he says, my reason returned to me. In other words, I was not being reasonable before when I was living under the illusion that I was sovereign. Now that I'm living a reasonable life, I understand who's sovereign. 
And the reasonable conclusion is this. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever and his dominion, another word for sovereignty. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom, his kingdom, not mine, his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing compared to who? The supreme value of the sovereign God. I don't know what you think you are contributing to what God's doing. Um, According to Nebuchadnezzar's commentary, nothing are you contributing. God is absolutely sovereign and he does according to his will among the host of heaven up there and among the inhabitants of the earth down here and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? You ever said that to God? God, what do you think you're doing? You can't do that. You can't say that to him unless you're under the illusion that you have some sovereign control. You see, when we challenge God's sovereignty, we commit the greatest sin. Do you know what the greatest sin is? It's idolatry. It's bowing down to the worship of me. And it is doing everything that I can to protect my sovereign control from someone who would challenge it. God is sovereign. Yield to him. That's what God wants us to do. And those that know God will understand that they are not sovereign. Now, there are some aspects to the sovereignty of God. If we're gonna understand how much control God has, we're gonna need to wrap our, our mind around what it means for God to be sovereign. So here's some subcategories. We need to think about this. God is self-existent. That means that God is absolutely independent. He, his existence is not dependent upon anyone or anything. That means that God is eternal. God had no beginning and he will have no end. He exists outside of time and space. Do you know what convinces us that we are not sovereign? We have a limited amount of time and a limited amount of space. God built into the rhythm of, of the physical body something to convince you that you're not sovereign. You know what it's called? Sleep. I mean, you just can't go very long without your body just kind of becoming unconscious. How do you sleep? Those that know God sleep really well. You know why? Because they know that while they are completely unconscious, God is doing things just fine without them. And yet, if you do not know God, I bet you don't sleep very well because you're sitting there trying to wrestle in your brain how I can control this situation and what happens if I, I've got to get and I've got, you don't sleep very well because you think that things are dependent upon you. But God is self-existent and he had no beginning and no end and he lives outside of time and space. God has never faced a deadline. God has never been busy. God has never missed an appointment. God's never felt cramped. 
He exists outside of time and space. And God has, it, has never experienced a need. No? Need anything? No. Doing just fine. Are you sure there's anything? You, no. We got it all in control. Because God is self-existence. So those that know him will do what? Remember those two things that Daniel told us? Those that know their God will do two things. What is it? Stand firm. I need you to remember that. So we're going to divide. You don't divide in church. We, we're going to subcategorize um, the congregation here right down the middle. This is going to be the first. I want you guys to remember what people who know their God will do. Do you remember what it was? Stand firm. So when I look at you and do this, I need you to remind this, these people over here that aren't paying attention that they're, they're, if they know their God, they're going to stand firm, okay? Do you know what your assignment is? People that know their God, take action, all right? So you need to remind those people that they're so wrapped up in their stand firm thing, they're not going to realize they need to take action, okay? So here, we, people that know their God, they're going to? People that know their God are going to? So what do people who know that God is self-existent do? They understand that they exist to make much of God. People that do not know God think that God exists to make much of them. And people that know their God are never motivated to serve him because they think God needs them. Did you come to church and boy, God really needs me today. They're not going to be able to pull the church off without me. So I got to get there. Now, listen, there, I need you. You need to keep showing up and doing that. Matter of fact, we got a lot of needs that some of you that aren't standing firm and taking action need to fill those opportunities. The reason you're not doing that is because you don't really know God. You need to know him because there's a lot of things that need to be done. But God is completely capable of getting those things done. He is sovereign. God is not only self-existent, he is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that God is faithful. God is always keeping his word. He's never going to break a promise. God is never moody. God is never impatient. He is the same exercising the same strength and the same control today as he has always exercised. He's not lost an ounce of his energy. He's not lost a bit of his control. His throne is firmly established and no rival will ever prevent him from accomplishing everything that he has planned. He's unchanging. And those that know that he is unchanging will stop, never stop believing that he will fulfill all his promises, no matter how bad it looks through the lens of this world. Our confidence is not based on what we see. Our confidence is based on what we know about our God. It gives us great hope. We need to wrap our minds around the fact that God is omnipresent. Now we're really getting into the sovereignty stuff here. Do you know what that means? God is everywhere present at the exact same time. There should be little poofs of smoke coming out of your ears at this point. God is everywhere present at the same time. Do you know what that means? People that know that God is omnipresent will never feel alone. Do you feel alone? Why are you feeling wrong? You're thinking wrong. You're not alone. 
God is there. People that know their God have access to him at any moment, at any place, any time. People that know their God will never have a need to feel afraid because people that know this God have instant access to the defender of the universe who promises to protect and to provide for his children. Those who do not know this God should never feel safe because he sees what they're doing and he knows what they're up to. People that do not know this God should always feel lonely, no matter how many people they're with, because they do not know the intimate presence of a personal God. We need to think about the fact that God is omniscient. That means that God knows everything that has ever happened, and God knows everything that will ever happen. And God knows everything that has ever happened to you. There are some secrets in this room. There are some things that people have done to you or things that you've done to others that no one else knows. But people that know their God know that God knows. Not only does he know, he cares. He saw what happened to you. He heard what they said. He saw the injustice. He knows. And he cares about it personally. So people that know their God live with the sense that God is watching. They live with the sense that God knows every time there's been an injustice or an offense or a wrong. People that know their God know that God cares for them. They live knowing that God takes pleasure or experiences pain based on the way they live their lives. People that know their God. And then finally, let's think about the fact that God is omnipotent. That means that God is absolutely free and God is absolutely able to do anything, anytime he wants to. He can reverse any injustice. He can prevent any tragedy. He can cure any disease. He can change any outcome. And none of it is difficult for God. He is never frustrated by an enemy. And he's never frustrated by evil. So those that know him patiently wait for God to exercise his power in the face of suffering. They know that God will settle every moral account, either in hell or on the cross in Christ. That's people that know their God and people that know their God stand firm on that truth and they take action. You know what people that know God do? They know he's sovereign, they rest and they risk. They understand, I'm indestructible until God's finished with me. There's not an enemy that can threaten me because God is in control. We've been listening to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. 
We'll hear part two of this message next week. We'd like to invite you to one of our weekly worship services at Harvest Granger. Join us Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit harvestgranger.org. We hope you'll join us again next week at this same time for Resonate with Trent Griffith, a ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger.